Welcome to Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. On this podcast, Rob and I discuss the books we're reading for the first time and share our thoughts and notes with each other. If this is your first time listening, we suggest you read Homeland, book one in the Dritz Jordan series, chapter 22 through the end before listening to this episode. That way, you can follow along with our conversation. Welcome to the Homeland Book Wrap Party. Do you have any housekeeping? Uh, only a little bit of the most important news of the week. Um, I think it's fair to say that that it's it's now more than ever before entirely possible, nay, probable that someone, some writer at Saturday Night Live listens to our show. <laughs> Why would ever you think that? Pray tell, you may say. Sure. Um, Pray tell only, me. only that a couple of episodes ago, what do you remember? Which episode that was? Now that I, I'm, I'm I don't even I, remember what book we were reading. Oh, I do. Okay. It was it was Ready Player One. Right. Back in one of our final one of the last couple Ready Player One episodes, I brought up the concept that perhaps. <laughs> Ultraman was not necessarily Japan's greatest hero <laughs> in that at least I would like to have seen a the contest or a debate about who could be Japan's greatest hero. Right. And in that conversation, I listed numerous heroic, superheroic Japanese characters because that was the, that was the other categories that had to be prerequisite had to be superhero. Right. Japanese superhero. Mm hmm. And in that, I mentioned, I, I don't exactly remember, you know, the particulars of who I mentioned, but I know I mentioned, uh, I'm, I'm going to guess, if I was going to do it again, I would say maybe like Astro Boy or uh, Goku or Gohan, like so many different characters out of Japanese culture that are superheroes. But the one I mentioned that really destroyed the episode, that broke the internet, clearly, uh, was Super Mario. And in the conversation that ensued you and I went to war <laughs> over whether or not Mario is Japanese. Clearly Italian. That's that was your position. It still is. What happened in between then and now was that last Saturday, Elon Musk hosted Saturday night live. And in that episode, there was a skit in which sketch. Elon Musk, excuse me, a sketch in which Elon Musk plays Mario's evil doppelganger, Wario. And there's a moment in the sketch where Governor Andrew Cuomo, a char- uh, played by the character Governor Andrew Cuomo, played by uh, Pete Davidson, comes out in the middle of the sketch. The and s- an, sketch breaks down, and it's an it's a, it's a, it's a yes, anti-Italian-American yes. defamation right. PSA. And, 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 right, and, and Governor Cuomo says makes the assertion that he and warrior are both Wario are both misunderstood Italian people. And then Wario says, actually I'm Japanese. <laughs> and they can't see you biting your lip in victory. And Oh boy. Was that sweet? Oh boy. Not only was that sweet. Let me read you the exact text that I, Oh, got. but you should, before you, before you read it, you should also try to convey the timeline. Okay. Um, let me find it. Okay. Okay, I'll do the timeline. You do the timeline. So that 
So that line is uttered on TV. Mm-hmm. That line, actually, I'm Italian happens. I have maybe two seconds, maybe, <laughs> of jubilation and freaking out and ec- ecstatic uh, victory and joy. Like, I'm on, like, I'm screaming Nike. Like, that's how, <laughs> like, like, how, like, instantly I'm like, like, Ugh! And then I instantly grab my phone and just start like, v- like vigorously texting to Rob. As that line happens, and I immediately get this like, "Oh God damn it! I'm not going to hear the end of this." My wife. Oh, is... I should be clear. Hold on, I should be clear. Wait, let's be clear. We're not in the same room with each no. other. No, we're, we're both watching this show. We're both watching it separately, separately. not right. talking to each other. But as but soon... we're both watching it live. But but so, as soon as that happens, I'm just like, "Oh God damn it!" And my wife laughs, and I'm reaching for my phone going, I'm expecting a text from Doug, and as I'm picking my phone up, it lights up with, Did you see that? I fucking win, you fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't have to ask him what he was talking about. I knew in that split second that I would be getting the message and what it was about. But I don't concede the victory. <laughs> I do not. I don't need you to. I don't <laughs> need it. not anymore. Like at th- I mean, I didn't need it in the be- in the first place. It was all about trying. It was like you were Anakin Skywalker, and I was trying to save you from the dark side. <laughs> but like now, it's like I'm with the Republic, and we're all like, "Yeah, you, you are the bad guy. You are wrong." And I just have the vindication of some writer at SNL who clearly listens to our show. <laughs> Like, who clearly is a huge fan. I mean, that de facto makes us SNL writers, right? No, it just means they're joke stealers. (laughs) (laughs) Which is not the first time I've heard them be accused of, like, SNL writers be accused of joke stealing. I'm sure sure they were inspired by us. Yeah, (laughs) that's foreshadowing. That is, I think, the only housekeeping we had. Oh, what a sweet housekeeping it is. So, SNL writer, uh, you know, if you'd like to be a guest on our show... Uh, fuck off! I don't know. Like, no, what do you want us to make, do? Like, make, make we... his characters on the next episode. Yeah, that's a thing that yeah. will happen. Like, yeah, okay, yeah. There you go. Make a make, do a podcast sketch where you talk about podcasts and uh, you'll the be one played by Pete Davis. And I'll be played by Mikey Day. Not Mikey Day. Not Mikey Day. Um, Kyle Mooney. Well, if you're gonna be played by Kyle Mooney, then I want to be played by Pete Davidson. You already look like no, him. No, I'm not. No, it, what? <laughs> it's it's not Pete Davidson. It's obviously not Pete Davidson. It, it is instead Beck Bennett. That's oh so you, if you, no it's, it's, way. It's gonna be, no way. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a Bennett and and uh, Mooney sketch. No way. If you're That's, if you're gonna be played by Beck Bennett, then I want to be played by. Uh, no. Heidi Gardner. I, fine. Fine. That's fine with me. Fine. Because we're talking about like current cast members, right? Like not yeah. like. Yeah, this like... is not dream casting. I'm being realistic. Okay. When this clearly okay. is going to happen, I'll be Heidi Gardner, and uh, you can be Beck Bennett. And then the rerun of that ep- uh, of uh, SNL that ha- that aired last week or last Saturday was was an episode in which Donald Trump's lawyer goes to hell and meets the devil. And the devil insists that he takes credit for inventing podcasts, which again <laughs> means that someone at SNL listens to podcasts. I know that's a shock, but I'm just saying in that time. Connect the dots, man. It's all right there. It's it's Pepe Sylvia. It's all right there, guys. Like it's like 
Pepe Sylvia, Pepe Sylvia podcast of fucking Mario's Wario's Japanese. It they listen. So, you know, whatever. You want to listen? That's cool. Also, tell your friends about us. Because <laughs> it's not like we couldn't use the shares. Also, write a fucking review, you pricks. Like, not not just our general listeners, but that specific SNL writer who's not written a review for us, but is stealing my fucking bits. That said, I really liked your murder dirt. That was a, that was good joke writing. Wasn't the same writer. Wasn't the same you writer. You don't know that. The, the murder dirter writers didn't have to steal from us. They did a great job. What? Could be the same writer. Nah. Okay. Nah, because <laughs> good writers don't steal. Great writers do. Mark Twain! Boo, boo, boo! Boo, boo, boo! That's my uh, Kelly Clarkson thing. Have you noticed that? She does that. Fucking pisses me off so much. I've not noticed. She, like, does the, that whole, like, air horn she sound. She makes the boo noise. No, it's not a Vuvuzela. It's, a, it's an air horn. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I, so, like, sound like, they're different obnoxious loud noises. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and so, like, whenever she wants to accentuate something that she likes, she'll do that. And it's it's so grating and aggravating to watch and listen to. Because it's just like, oh, you fucking uninteresting person. <laughs> I wish, I wish you weren't on television. Well, if there's no more housekeeping or anything else to talk about, let's start with... Chapter 22, Gnomes. Wicked Gnomes. This is the battle between the Gnomes and Drow. Dritzed and Massage square off against a stone elemental for most of the chapter. And we learn that despite taking great damage, Guinevere may still be safe inside her figurine. The chapter ends with Massage botching an assassination attempt on, on Dritzt before the stone elemental partially traps Massage inside the stone ground. ground. Yeah. <laughs> well done. I was going to, I really should have called it an earth elemental, but they kept referring to it as a stone beast. So I was like, wah, 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 wah. okay. Do you have any notes in that chapter? Yeah, I got some notes, but I think first I have a question for you. Since you brought up the earth elemental. What's an Earth Elemental? Uh, it's like a creature that has mobility, consciousness, uh, and is made of an like rock and stone and earth. Okay, just because it sounds like, like it's like the, it's like animated stuff. Sure, it just they kept like describing it being made of stone, but they kept saying like their swords had effect on it, and that was where I was getting confused. Well, imagine like you have a brittle stone. Okay. Like stones have varying like varying degrees of hardness. Yes. And if you think about it, what is metal if not kind of a stone? And because there's a hardness scale, if you hit one hard thing with another hard thing, the harder of the two will remain intact while the other breaks. I mean, you're not you're not you're wrong, but you are still doing the heavy lifting. I haven't he didn't tell me anything about the stone being brittle. Well, he he did tell you that it breaks. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, I guess. Hoisted on my own petard again. And I guess we know that their weapons are adamantine. So fine. It's just a very hard metal. And sharp. And they have these unforgiving blades. These cruel blades. Uh, that's, that's a good callback. Uh, so, yeah, we do open with these gnomes. And a very quick rundown of uh, gnome names. And it was very much more keyboard smashing. And I was kind of, I was not, 
I was not unhappy to see the end of that section. Yeah, but, I don't uh, like it didn't reading last too long. names. Yeah. Um, although, okay, so I did have a, I did have a question, and it involved some math early on in this chapter. Got Great. a little math problem here. I love math. And you can maybe talk me out of it. Uh, it's just I, I, I just I read it, and I'm like, this does not make sense to me. So, <clears throat> they say, the gnomes, 20 miles east of Blingdenstone, or whatever, uh, the, the gnome village, or the area of case it served as the gnome village or city, 20 miles east is a vein of gems. You with me so far? Let the record show that I am. Okay. 40 miles east, and I'm assuming of that same village, uh, which is 20 miles further than that vein, is considered dangerously close to Menzo Benzo. But when they get to the vein, the Dark Elves are less than five miles away. The... This patrol was deliberately going very, very, very deep. This was from the gnome's point of view. They didn't know about the patrol. Well, what's your question then? It's it, They made it sound like Menzo Benzorian was suddenly uh, only 25 miles away from... No, what you're, you're misunderstanding. They're saying that they are only 40 miles... Or wait, they're, on, wait, they're the, the gem. So they're only 20 miles away from their home. They are 40 miles away from the danger zone. So they think they're safe. They aren't because this five miles away from them is actually this deep traveling, like band of. I don't drought. feel like that's how it was written. Okay, that's how you presented it. Well, I guess we have to look it up. Okay. Oh, you're asking for it. I, you're, I'm just, I'm just be, sitting you're here. You proved so wrong. You're gonna be like, oh, I'm uh, embarrassed. I guess the contention starts early today. <laughs> After describing the 20 miles and the 40 miles, Bobby writes, The Burl Warden took care not to get overly excited, though. He knew that 20,000 drow elves, the Svardenbli's most hated and feared enemies, lived less than five miles away. Oh, lived less than five miles away. Mm-hmm. So read the 20 and 40, then. All right, all right, all right. Because I'm just taking your word for those. Okay, okay, okay. When the news came back to... Blingdenstone, the cluster of tunnels and caverns that composed the deep gnome city that a rich vein of gemstones had been discovered 20 miles to the east as the rock worm burrowed. Burrow Warden Dizengulp had to climb over dozens of others of this blah blah blah. Belware and all of the others knew well that 40 miles east as the rock worm burrowed would put the expedition dangerously close to Menzo Branzan. Two paragraphs later, he knew that 20,000 drow elves, the most hated and feared enemy, lived less than five miles away. What page is this? It's like the second page of chapter uh, 22. 22. I think it probably starts on the first page. The first, the second paragraph is where I started reading. Okay, I've read it. Um, so the best I can... I mean, uh, yeah, at first glance it looks like a typo or like a bad description. But the best I can say is that from, there, from the, the Gnome City... It's 40 miles to Menzo Baranzan. Right. 20 miles. So in the midpoint between there. Is this vein of gems. Is this vein of gems. But maybe, maybe it's that like, I am, I'm like trying to make this work. So that's the challenge. I don't actually think it's worth making work. <laughs> but I'm, just, I'm proud of myself because I'm like my cousin Vinny. 
but here I think the 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 one of the most important things is as the rock worm burrowed. That's just I mean it's just a cute way of saying as the crow flies. But since he uses that for both, that means that's to me direct line. As the no, rock worm see, burrows twenty miles, as the rock worm burrows forty miles, he uses it for both descriptions. So that means same direction. No, what it means is in a straight line through rock, so right. not an actual path. No, I understand. So like, right, but the actual path they have to take might actually they don't go straight through rock they have to walk through the actual caverns okay so the actual caverns that they have to walk through may actually force them to go to a place that's five miles from drow society to get to access For, where, to, to five miles to, from twenty thousand drow that's menzo baronzan right there's no way so they're vein, gonna be at the vein and only five miles away from there's there's no kind of math that 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 means at the vein, five miles away, it's forty. It's twenty well, more vein, miles. The... It's a vein. It's not like a. It's not a ball. It like goes. It it, it travels closer to like the rockworm burrows. Than I understand, do. but since the vein had not been uh, excavated yet, that they were probably. I'm going to say they were at the the twenty mile mark where it had been discovered. And I don't know that they can't tunnel through. They sound like they're miners. They're all adults. It, it's like saying, as the crow flies, I can walk that same direction as the crow flies. It just means I'm not following a path. No, again, like, that... It would be different if you had to, like, walk... Like, you would... you would If you had to walk the same distance the crows flies, like, from crow here to crow there, your actual walking distance would be longer than if you just measured between the two crows. Because you have to walk up. You have to walk vertically. The crow doesn't. Sure. Even still, I don't see how there's a way that five miles is going to bring me or something that's 20 miles away. I'm saying that they discovered it 20 miles away. Maybe the access point to actually be able to dig it is 35 miles away. That, no, I'm not going to, that, then he needs to tell me that. It does not hold up. I, I mean, I'm, I, you asked me to defend this guy. I didn't ask to do this. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just saying doing my best. No, I'm, I'm a court-appointed lawyer. Well, I'm a court-appointed defense attorney. It's my duty to do the best I can, and I did. Yeah. It, I don't. I don't need your condemnation for not doing well. I'm not. I just con- did my I'm job. not condemning. You. I just I'm did condemning... my. Sir, uh, please. May the judge say. Uh, I am the contempt? judge, sir. I'm the judge. Your honor. You're in contempt. You're in contempt. You better watch yourself, counselor. I'm full of contempt for you now. So now, who's in contempt? You are of me. You're in my contempt. I'm, I'm going to tra- treat you as a hostile lawyer. You don't have any evidence that I am a lawyer. <laughs> Counselor, then. Defense. Whatever. Anyway, that's the best I have, man. I'm, I, I, it's, it sounds like bad writing, okay. but I don't... <laughs> it, I mean, that whole, that whole section sounded bad. It was all this, like, the rockworm, also called the trip lamp, and it does this, and, like... It's just like what fucking and and then the the, the Svartelheims are this far from the Tweekerbarst and it's like dude this isn't good. <laughs> it's not it's not great. Um, and then Yoklal found its handmaiden for Lolf the Spider Queen in Menzo Berenzan where Matron Malice and Zakanafiend and Dries the Duerden all went around the brazier to smash out the flames for the summoning and it's like I I'm only know Icelandic accent. Though. I only know what the fuck I'm talking about because I read a book about it. Sure, but it's dumb. <laughs> well, that sounds like final thoughts talk. Uh, do you have any notes in this chapter? Because I have a few more. No. Okay. 
Um, I'm getting a little tired of uh, Bobby's trope of X person grabbing the lapels or front shirt of somebody else and shaking them like they mean business and then throwing them down like some kind of impressive threat has happened, but it, it's just the same one over and over. And it's just the equivalent of, I'm yelling loudly now, so you must take me seriously. And uh, you've done it a number of times now. I'm over it. I think you said it in the maybe the first episode of this book, but you mentioned, like, I think, then that you were tired of how he was writing everything as, like, arch. Like, yeah. with all this arch. And that that's how that feels. It feels very... Saturday morning cartoon like like I'm giving it a lot a, a way wider berth than I think you are because I've seen uh that movie Fire and Ice I think is what it's called I don't know it it's, don't it's that it. it's like that I think it's like a Fleischer or, or maybe I don't remember who it is but it's an animated thing that looks like the old Superman Fleischer cartoons where it's that style of cartoon where they f- film someone doing something the and then they rotoscope. just draw it around yeah they rotoscope it so it looks very fluid in like real gotcha. movements yeah yeah and it's all based on these like uh, Frank Frazetta drawings and stuff, and it's very silly and arch, and it's it's a lot like this in those ways where it's like <laughs> that dr- word. Dr- <laughs> what? Go no, go ahead. You it's just all this dramatic action that's mm-hmm. all, like o- over, over, like melodramatic and like high Wagnerian. Drama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I again, that's what this is. <laughs> I was like, only laughing because Arch is going to come up again tonight, which is apparently sure. my trope. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just like a recurring criticism. It's not the same as a sure. trope. I, I think you get a little more. Again, I think you both. You may. You may. You maybe you could give him a like Salvatore a little bit more of a break, and maybe he could be better at writing. I well, think I, both I, are true. I, well, you might. You might be surprised where my ultimate angle goes with these notes. However, I don't think anything could surprise me. However, that one bugged me. Um, sure. I have a note here. If Massage actually ran away when he disappeared, I'd be amused. Find out later he didn't, so not as much. Um, Another tropey moment where Dritz thinks that Gunweaver was hurt, and he gets his, oh, you're dead moment, which it's only a pet peeve because so many me- uh, mediums, movies, books, comics try this moment like oh shit serious now like now you done what i write oh shit you done messed up now you know that 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 oh you you push my one button and now i'm gonna hulk out and be super me you can do it so it has weight and build up to it or you can just have the character do it which kind of i don't I, I did not get the thrill that I feel I was intended to get from him. Like, oh, fuck you. Now I'm going to really fuck shit up. Do you think you would have if this was the first time you read that trope? No, I'm trying to... Because I, I will say he's done a pretty good job of... Uh, Dritz and Gunweaver getting to know each other. So I'm not sure why it didn't sell me. Let me think about it. Is it because we mentioned the last episode that we figured out the special rules of the of the figurine and so therefore there was no actual suspense no because because i understood that that uh dritz didn't know that yet right um i think it's just a case of i didn't get that 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 sense of a straw being broken you know the 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 straw that breaks the camel back rather Uh, here's what i'll say in because i remember that reading that sequence 
I think that it's, again, it's kind of poorly written. Maybe I'm just bad at reading. But the way it's described is, like, the cat gets smashed and then there's smoke. Sure. Is it, it's like how it's described. And then yeah. there's some smoke. And then the cat's gone. Like, we don't see the cat. And so Driz reacts like the cat has been annihilated. And so then it's like, oh, you're dead because you definitely killed the cat. But it's also like, what the fuck just happened? I'm not having trouble visualizing the actions sure. that caused what happened. There's, I mean, I think... I think my... F- like, we know that the cat just returned to the figurine. It returned to its own plane of existence when it gets too injured or whatever. Right. Um, but he doesn't know that at that moment. But we don't really either unless we've read the other trilogy. Sure. So, like, I'm, I'm just saying, like, give me a little bit more description yeah, of, like, that's... and the cat disappeared. Like, like, like something ever, like that. Do you ever see that old Disney cartoon, Lambert the Sheepish Lion? No. Lambert is a lion raised by lambs. But he's also a lion. He's totally a lion. But he's meek and demure and cowardly and just a, you know, just a, lamb, a lion who thinks he's a lamb. Until he's one a, day, an evil wolf menaces the flock and has them all on the cliff. And the wolf's slavering jaws is pawing his way closer and closer to Lambert's mommy sheep, who's like, Lambert! And Lambert's like, oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then something snaps, and he's fucking, he lions up, and he roars, and the wolf's like, oh, shit! And that is a moment. This was not that. That's all I want. That's 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 all. I want that epic Lambert the sheepish lion moment. But Drizzt was never sheepish. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but he was never supposed to be. <laughs> He's supposed to be uh, too. He's supposed to be jubilant and joyful. Sure, and, sure, and whatever. Deadly. It's it's that personality switch of oh shit, you done fucked up now. You did the one thing that pushed me too far, and now I'm going to kick all kinds of ass. Moment, and it didn't 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 sway me. No, I get it. I'm just saying, like the thing you were saying with your example. I'm saying I want that impact. It doesn't have to be exactly okay. a parallel. Okay. Well, okay. Good. I think that, I mean, I, I, don't, Lambert. I don't have any defense for this. Um, I think there was a lot, of, for me, and we'll get to it, but there's a there's a lot of things in these last couple of chapters that felt predictable. Sure. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that was part of what my, I mean, part of my issues with it is I felt like I saw it coming. So. Well, that's all my notes. All right, well, that brings us to the end of the book. No, it does not. Oh, I'm sorry. You said you didn't have any more notes. <sighs> Well, then that brings us to... Chapter 23, A Single Clean Blow. Trist is captured by gnomes who show him kindness. And then rescue. he's rescued by his drow patrol who show the gnomes none. The gnome leader is named Belwar, who showed Drist mercy, was, uh, was killed by the drow patrol. And, not, and only at Dritz's insistence was Belwar's life spared, and, o- and he wait, only wait, lost... Wait, 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 wait. Can you read that again? Because you made it sound like uh, Belwar was killed by the patrol, and then he was alive again. The gnome leader, Belwar, who showed Dritz mercy, was nearly killed by the drow patrol. My mistake, sorry. And only at Dritz's insistence was Belwar's life saved, and... His all he lost before being sent back to home to tell the horrors of drow warriors were his hands. Uh, I have a page note on what my page is is two seventy eight. Okay. 
I say here, there's a moment on this page where we learn that, Dr quote, Drizzt would not approve of uh, Guinevere's engaging in such tactics. Uh, that's in relation to hunting down and slaughtering gnomes. My question here is, why should we care? Why should Drizzt's opinions on other people's use of their own property be something we admire or interpret as a strength? Who's he not approving not... of? Is he not approving of Guinevere or is he not approving of Massage using her that way? He's not approving of Massage using her that way. Uh, it's like, I... here, let me put it this way. Sure. To me, I read it like if you own a Ferrari, mm -hmm. like, or I'll just say a very expensive luxury vehicle. Maserati. If you, uh, yeah, if you own uh, any of those and then you decide to go driving it through off-road, like you decide to take it off-road and drive it through mud and rocks and gravel. Uh -huh. And I sit there and, and like, I look at you and like, oh, you shouldn't have done that. Mm, <laughs> you I done don't fucked approve. up now. <laughs> I don't approve that was the last straw. What the fuck does it matter if I think that? I actually think I have an answer for this. Okay. And that is massage knows that Dritz thinks of Guinevere as a person, an entity, whatever, ha what have you. And right. it's, and it's going to piss him off to use her this way. No, I know that. That, well, that was very clearly written in the book. Well, that's what I'm what, saying that, is why should we care that Dritz doesn't like it? I don't know if we should, other than we know how we've been told how much they like each other. And that I'm saying it makes Dritz seem like a fascist. It makes Dritz seem like someone who walks around imposing his will on others. No. And deciding that he has right to decide what other people should do with their property. Because he likes their thing enough to feel like he has agency to he, declare that it should be used. He doesn't think way. it's a thing, though. He thinks it's a person. That's like, that's, that's, that's true, like, that's like, like saying uh, that, that's that, like that, no. Hermione defending the house elves. No, it, to me, it's like me telling you, you shouldn't get your dog fixed because all puppies are sacred. Dritz knows that Guinevere doesn't want to kill? I don't think he does know that. Dr I thought they, were, I thought they have... shared a look. I thought they shared a look. There about... is, but like, it's, it's, I, I, it's still like, it, that's not how it's presented in the book. It's not presented okay. in the book of like, Dritz, it feels bad that Guinevere's being used poorly. Mm -hmm. He says he doesn't like, no, what does it say? Uh, Dritz would not approve of Guinevere engaging in such tactics. It is like, a weird, you know, that, it's a weird way to say it. Because it because it makes it, it it makes it standoffish again, like it is property. Right. I see what you're saying. Yeah, no, that's right. totally that's a that's bad writing. Or at um, least, it, I mean, I won't even say it's bad writing. I'll say that it, it communicates something that I don't that doesn't make Dritz relatable. Okay. It it makes him seem like a a dick. Well, I won't say it's bad writing because it seems like based on everything else in the chapter, what it what it seemed like it should be trying to communicate, it's not doing well. But right, right, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that's fair. That's a fair criticism. Yeah, I, I like I like I can say I don't disagree with him. It, it's lame to use Guinevere to slaughter innocent gnomes from like an altruistic lawful good perspective. But these are drow elves. Sure. That's not what their culture's about. Right. Like, I, I, it's hard for me. I, like, honestly, I'm not saying I think that being evil is a good thing. I'm saying that in this world. Right, in, in the context of this in the, world, in the, yeah. Yeah, in the context of this society, it's it'd be like if I went to, um, it'd be like any sort of other, like, I, I view Driss as a kind of like, he's kind of like an American visiting a foreign country. He's, he, or, or like, like walking in and deciding that that 
that as an American, you don't actually need to take the time to learn the customs of the place you're going. You could just be American anywhere and everything will be fine. Except with the added twist of he's doing that in America. Right. Which is very weird. Right. Yeah. It, it, or, so it's, it, yeah, it'd be like him. Yeah. It's just, it, it's, it, <laughs> I think it's supposed to make him seem like, I think the goal here is that Dritz needs to feel like a wayward outsider and like a, like a stranger in his homeland. Right. Right. I think that's like maybe part of why it's called this. Cause that's what he's supposed to feel like. Sure. I get that. That's what's supposed to happen. I can see it happening, but sometimes I feel like it's highlighted harder than is necessary. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is one of those moments where instead of making him feel sympathetic as an outsider in his own world in his, Mm -hmm. in his homeland. He is just comes off like a hall monitor Mm -hmm. or like a guy who just decides to walk in and go, this isn't my party, but I'm, I'm going to open all the presents or some shit like that. Just like, like, like a self-centered dick, like, like his needs take advantage or take, take a priority over anybody else. And I just don't like it. It Just, it just seems that stuff just bums me out. Could have been better written. He just seems kind of like a brat. Anyway, that's all I have for that chapter. What do you have? I only have one little quote at the very end of the chapter. This is when the uh, the the dark elves are laughing at all the gnomes they've slaughtered. Uh-huh. And there's the line, I might end the chapter, but it's near the end, where it said, that perverted drow humor that brought laughter when tears were needed. Same thing. Well, no, I actually, but I, I, I liked that. I like that description. It, it seemed like a moment of it's well worded and it, it, it contextualizes a lot or, or conveys a lot. I, it, I don't think it's necessarily um, well placed in the story because everything he set up into that point has not really described this undercurrent of everyone being deep, you know, somewhere deep inside regretful of what their of their actions. See, I guess I don't believe that. Like, I I don't believe that about Drow. Like, I can see where you're coming from. I right. Looked at right. It like, yes. Yeah. yeah I, I look the... at it like, like this is again like this sounds like something Dritz is imposing upon the society that he doesn't belong to. Right. He's he's saying it's needed. Like tears are needed. That's a very specific. Word. Oh no! I this, this this it just seemed like it was good writing divorced from the entire subject. Oh. I'll acknowledge that it's a little poetic, but I don't think that that makes for me. That's not enough to be good writing. That's fair. You have to that's you also fair. have to be like, like in your if you're world building, then like get more consistent. <laughs> and, and unless 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 I'm just like I'm at we're actually picking up on Drist is being a little like overbearing about his opinions, and we're not supposed to like him for that. Right. I mean, but it I, that seems like an odd thing to give to your heroic character i think i think my very next note which will be in the next section so we don't get confused uh will actually shed a little more light on this last note i just had okay well as of right now that line bothered me only because of the whole implication of the necessity of tears fair enough over laughter and again maybe for drist like if he had written these acts inspired laughter from the drow elves but drist felt like he needed tears or something like that. Like assign the tear part to the character who actually feels those things. Yeah. Don't try to attribute 
that to characters who we have no reason to believe feel those things. Only the only other character up to this point in Drow society who has those feelings is Zach, and right. he's even more tortured. He's he's tortured because of them, and it certainly he seems like an outlier too. So I don't know. It just just a little bit little bit loose there. Uh, do you have any more in that chapter? Nope. Well, that brings us to part five. Zachnafine. Uh, summary. This is a weird interlude where future Dritz laments the impending loss of Zachnafine, uh, which probably spoils the rest of the book. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 almost like a eulogy. Yeah, before the character dies. Yeah. Um. So my only note here is I like the Gunweaver poem better, <laughs> which coupled with my last note means. Uh, I think I might like Ari Salvatore's poetry. <laughs> uh, I think he might be able to handle that well. Uh, his fiction is not yet doing it for me, but right. I have liked those poetic moments. Mm-hmm. Okay, well then, uh, I have not, nothing else, so that brings us to... Chapter 24, To Know Our Enemies. Summary. Oh boy, this chapter is all about House Do Orden seeking the identity of their greatest enemies. Matron Malice and her daughters commune with Loth's handmaidens and learn that their enemy is already known to one amongst their house. After beating Dritz and Dinin, they nearly they learn their enemy is likely House Hanet and begin preparations for an all-out assault. You have any notes? Yeah, I do have some notes. Do you have any notes? I got nothing. Okay. Well, first then, I have some imagery here that confused me. I thought maybe you could help me out like you do. Uh, let's do it. In a bowl of the deepest onyx burned the sacred incense, sweet, death-like, and favored by the Yaklal. What does death-like mean for the incense? Mm. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> asked and answered. I, I get sweet. I get sickly sweet. Uh, I get cloying. I get smoky. I don't understand. Burning to, you know, almost extinguished embers. I don't know what death-like means. Do you want to read it again? I'll try, yeah. In a bowl of the deepest onyx burned the sacred incense, sweet, death-like, and favored by the Yaklal. Yeah, see, that seems like edgelord shit to me. Like, it just seems like... Does it smell like the dead? Does it look like the dead? Does it make you think dark thoughts? What the fuck does that mean? Does no, it put it just out seems like? like it, it seems like the whole like not clarifying how your characters' names are fucking pronounced. It's just like it seems like like oh man, I left it open ended because like no matter no matter what death like means to you, it means something to you. Does it burn with inverted I, light? I don't. I yeah, want I just... I want that to mean something to you. Okay. That's my best guess. That's what it sounds like. Like that's the beat poet bullshit. Like that I hear when I when I read something like that. Because like, what if it meant that it was like, what if it's like it's inert? It doesn't actually move. It's like it 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 burns without uh, really looking like it's burning. I don't know. Like, yeah, it's weird. It means nothing. It's 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 vo- it's devoid of life. This concept. <laughs> this writing is deathlike. Oh my god! It's so poetic. <laughs> Uh, okay, my takeaway on this chapter, there's a lot of arch here, mm-hmm. uh, but there's also some canny prose, excluding the death-like incense. As if Salvatore is finally getting comfortable with his overly plotted backstory and finally started writing, it gives me a little hope for the future. Yeah. Like, I-, I feel like he's got an 80-page short story here. 
that he's expanded into 300 or however many paper pages you have. And that's why it just feels like, uh, we're getting to the next thing. And we're getting to the next thing. And we're getting to the next thing. It's like, just give me the 80-page short story or give me one book that's all three of these, which I'm guessing the other two are going to be like, that's a book. Don't make it a trilogy. Just tell me. The, but again, that's, that's conjecture. But that's what it's feeling like. Yeah, I think there's a good point in like in like wondering what what the intentions of these books actually were like, is it just to write an adventure story? Is there, or is it a goal to write an adventure story that feels like a Dungeons and Dragons backstory or feels like a Dungeons and Dragons adventure? Mm -hmm. Because like the brevity of a good short adventure story wouldn't lend itself to the length of time it takes to play Dungeons and Dragons. So like if you multiply an 80 page plot to my book has, 343 pages okay. 343 exactly pages i mean that kind of sounds like what happens in dungeons and dragons and also kind of for this for me i think that it's 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 bloated but it's also like that kind of bloated where you're where like if you watch the first episode of a tv series you're like because that's what this feels like to me it feels more like that first episode where you're like i i have to spend my time letting the story establish its world mm-hmm so that I can actually start to enjoy the show. Maybe. Maybe. It's still, for me, feeling like like you've commented before, like like The Phantom Menace yeah. or, or The Hobbit movie. And I'm, I'm, it gives me a lot of hope for The Crystal Shard, or whatever that's called. It, that's what it's called. Yeah. It just sounds so Dark Crystal, I'm, I'm never sure. The Dark Crystal Shard. Right. The Drow Shard. Yeah. That burns with orbs of amethyst. Death-like. Death-like. The Death Like Hallows. Um, <laughs> you have any more notes in that chapter? Nope. Well, then that brings us to... Chapter 25, The Weapons Masters. Plural. Mm -hmm. Summary. Zack and Dritz have an emotional showdown, wherein the predictable, quote, solution to the parry problem, end quote, is finally found, and the air is cleared between drow father and son. But... So, too, is the mist cleared from the eyes of Matron Malice concerning who amongst her family has put Doorden, House Doorden out of Lulth's good graces. Nicely hmm, done. Yeah. Um, <laughs> again, this is another one of those predictable moments where it's like, yeah, describe the fight until Dritz does the thing he learned how to, like, it's been paced. It's the it's rule of threes. He needs the parry. He gets his face bloodied and they're told there's no such parry. Then he learns the parry by luck in college, and then he's got to be able to use the parry against his dad to prove to him that he, he's he's fucking his own mother. Um, oh, did I read the wrong book? No, it's just like this is no, such an edible thing. Like it's just so like he's he's got to like the 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 solution to the parry is a metaphor for fucking his mom, and like <laughs> wow, my eyes. And it's <laughs> hey man. I didn't write that Greek pervert shit. Um, <laughs> uh, let's not put on um, Aristophanes. <laughs> yeah, that. So like, that's it's so it's such talk about tropes. Like it was so, like it was like watch. It was like looking ahead, and and every chapter had like a mark where I thought, yeah, there's a flare burning there, being like, this is this is the path towards this moment that will happen, and sure enough, it did. Sophocles, I'm sorry. Mm. Sophic or sapphic? Take your pick. Okay. Um, no, Rob. 
Take your pick. Sefik. Yeah, me too. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, so do you have any it was pretty good. Do you have any notes on this chapter? No. Okay. Well so I'm rolling my eyes at this fight about miscommunication, but I'm not blaming Salvatore. Uh the roots of miscommunication fights like this go back to Shakespeare and beyond. Oh right. Yeah, that so not just, yeah, uh, okay, I know what you yeah. mean. Yeah. I just by I me mean, it was it was more of the same, but I'm like literally Everything does this, so I'm not going to hold that against him. This is just like I got to sit through it. Uh, then I wrote, and I'm not exactly sure what I remember. Uh, oh, I think I think it's because they fought and they didn't kill each other, or that made the whatever. I like fuck plot. Finally, some story is happening. Yeah, so I like that. Here's what I'll say about the miscommunication before we move on. Okay, because I thought the same thing. Like, oh, there's this thing, but also it's. All it, it's like the Romeo and Juliet thing. Exactly. Like, like why, 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 why or did much they do about to... nothing? Or right. And I think the answer is like one. Yes, it's cliched. Two. Yes, it's predictable. Three. Yes, it's grating. Mm-hmm. But the thing I'll say about it that I that occurred to me was that I've got to imagine that a whole lot of problems in my life have come from not knowing that a very simple miscommunication took place. And if I can accept, like, if I can suspend disbelief to accept that that's probable, like, extremely probable, down to things like, if you're in high school and so for some reason you decide you don't like somebody because you've been slighted by them, how many people go back to actually examine the slight once they're not enraged, once they're done being enraged or offended when you say examine it you don't mean sit there and fester over it and, and no i mean like I, yeah, no, I don't mean fester i okay. mean i mean examine like like take a step back and objectively go what happened here could i have misperceived something and then like examine it take a almost look no it. one exactly and i feel like if people did that more often you would have a lot fewer situations where uh, father and son murder each other or any number of less extreme conflicts take place. Sure. So in that sense, it made me think, yes, this is cliched. It's it's predictable. It's I won't go as far to say that it's hack. No. But it's also maybe it's more realistic than I am. For, I am instinctively immediately willing to accept. Sure. But in that case, perhaps it's been shorthanded in a way that made me kind of long for it to end oh no i don't think that i don't think you're at fault for longing for it to end (laughs) i think i think you're i think you your impatience is well warranted uh but at the same time like i tried to what i did was i tried to temper my impatience with an a evaluation about life in Mm -hmm. a way that made me feel like maybe this isn't like i said so hack maybe it's just kind of realistic but uh, that's all I have. You said you. I think you have something else. What else were you going to say? Um, couple things. Hey, they so far didn't kill each other, meaning right. so far Dritz didn't kill Zach. Yay! And then I have this note. Uh oh. Ugh. The where would I go? And I specifically have an excerpt. Zach looked at him incredulously. Where would I go? No one, not even a drow weapon master, weapons master, would survive for long out in the caverns of the Underdark. Too many monsters and other races hunger for the sweet blood of dark elves. And that's when I realized, Doug was right, we're not getting out of the Underdark anytime soon. 
Hey! I was like, God damn it. That was foreshadowing of exploring the Underdark. Fuck. Yeah! Uh, and guess what? What? He's not getting out of it in the next book either. Shut up, he is too. He's not. Shut it's up. It's not going to happen. It's page it's one of the next book, he's going to be like, oh, sunshine. Mm-mm. Damn it. No, and not even... Oh, he not only will he not do it in the by the end of the next book that's the whole reason he had to embrace the sun's warm rays in this book in that first chapter so that he knows that better world exists that's his lure that's what will eventually bring him to the surface world is that longing to be where the people are and because he wants to see wants to see them dancing thank you um (laughs) And he, <laughs> uh, so, so like he has to continue to go through like his, you know, odyssey through the underdark so he can be done with it mm-hmm. at least for one more book, at least my original prediction, which I'm sticking with at this moment, which we could save to the end of this episode, but I'll say right now, my, my prediction is he's not leaving the underdark in the next book either. He's leaving it. In the third book, the end of I don't book know three when. is what you said. Do you well, still? Do you sort of, still? No, it's fine. I, I'm not going to hold you to it if, if you if you if things are changing dynamically. No, it's just like th- my prediction for what would make a satisfying arc uh-huh. would be that he ends the book by leaving the Underdark, the Dark but, Arc. Yeah, but I but I also could understand that maybe like that's the middle of his story in the third book, and or it's maybe it's the beginning of that book. Or maybe it's the very end, like the end of that book is kind of like the end of this. The end of the second book is like the end of this book where it's like he sets off, but he doesn't actually leave. Mm-hmm. Like he, he begins leaving, <laughs> um, but he doesn't actually do it yet. So because it, it, it could be it could be the, the third book could be Dritz experiencing the surface world the first time and then acclimating to that. I would believe that, too, as an arc. I, I am very confident that he will not fully leave in the next book and if like i said if he does it'll be the last chapter is drift breaking through into the surface world and being like whoa it's bright out here anyway so so that's but that's like we still have more chapters to go we through. have more chapters we're not done yet are you done with that are you done with chapter 25 the legends masters okay then that brings us to chapter 26 angler of the underdark summary This chapter sees Guinevere rescue Dritz from the pincers of an underdark angler after Massage commanded the cat to hunt down and kill the second boy of House Doerden. Then, through the power of friendship, Guinevere and Dritz overcome the control Massage exerts over the panther. The chapter ends with them both setting out in search of the cat's former master. So my first note here is what is a cavefisher? It's like a, I think it's like a big angler fish, but also like a big uh, crawdad. <laughs> okay, that's what I think it is. I think it's like, I mean, I, I, I might. That be makes able to sense, look it up. angler. Yeah. Why, why speculate when I can open up my Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition Monster Manual? What's it called again? Uh, Cave Fisher. Probably under C. It's not in the book. Angler not in the book oh but that doesn't mean it's not on the internet i guess that's true i guess i could have just looked it up you could have just looked it up 
And then you could have said, I looked it up, and it turns out it looks like this. Basically exactly what you said. It's a big old crabby monster. What's a proboscis? Dude, I would eat the shit out of that. Oh, gross. Oh, man. Why would you eat? Why would you start with eating its shit? Um, it's the best part. Ugh. What's it called again? A, a cave angler? That's what I searched. Cave fisher. How are there no official images for five, fifth edition in this? Uh, oh, here we go. Cave fisher. Yeah, it's it's it looks like it looks like uh some sort of like skin parasite. Like it looks like. When you get, uh, if you have a mangy dog and you get a skin scan of them and they look at them, they look at the parasites under a microscope, that's what that looks like. But like the size of a horse. Also something that would be tasty in gumbo. Ew. <laughs> okay. Says you. Uh, I'm guessing you have no notes on this chapter. Cave fishers apparently have a uh, ability called valuable innards. Nearly every part of a cave fisher is useful after the creature has been dispatched. Its blood is alcoholic and tastes like strong liquor. I thought the chapter said it was kind of acidic. Um, the description felt like it was describing it like melting stuff. Several dwarven spirits include cave fisher blood as part of the recipe. And some dwarfs, especially berserkers, drink the blood straight. If they are gathered after being, I don't know what that word means, extruded, I can't see it. It's like it's a photograph of the book. Mm. Um, cave fisher filaments can be woven in, into rope that is thin, tough, oh. and nearly invisible. Yeah, extruded, I think, is a word for like when, when spiders oh, right. extrude their sp- silk. I couldn't tell. It was pronoun trouble. The they being the drunken dwarves or the cave fisher. Yeah, I thought it was about the dwarves, too. Cave fisher meat is edible, tasting much like crab cooked in strong wine. Wait, it's much like what? Crab. I swear you said crap. You were a f- you were fascinated with eating shit tonight, and I don't understand it. I mean, I, don't I talk know to why you a lot, so it's up. it's part of my daily diet. Because because I have to eat I shit when I talk eat, to you. Yeah, because you because you make lots of mistakes, and I correct you on them. You know what? Is uh, that what you mean by in retrospect? It, it didn't it didn't come off as quite the uh, insult I thought it was for you. It won't be your first time. <laughs> Fuck you. the creature shell is used in the manufacture of tools armor and jewelry Hmm. all right i'll stop reading about it but yeah that's a it's just a big it's like a big lice uh that you gotta kill big tasty lice a big crawdad yep um no more notes for you? No, not in that chapter. <laughs> um, so it, it occurred to me here with this whole Dritz and Gunweaver plot, th- this is where it felt really plotty. And like he was going through the motions of how these friends came to be. And I kind of wish he'd made a little more of a meal about... Like, don't show us how the things are arranged just because it's a prequel. Pretend like no one knows where the story is going and it would be stronger. Like, maybe have them have something contentious they have to overcome or get to know each other or not just have a natural affinity and, and go through the steps of how ownership changes hands. It, it, I just, I'm just like, I'm still reading this, man. You could have made this interesting and you didn't. 
I think the yeah the problem is that like because you I mean presumably if you read the crystal shard you know Dritz ends up with the cat sure and but if you it, are reading it, this book and he doesn't have the cat you go oh this is how I, it's like it's like that it's like when you watch this book is like fucking solo a Star Wars story sure it's like you watch that movie and you're like okay I guess like I guess they're tying up all the loose ends <laughs> I guess I, I this this one event this one period of time in Han Solo's life is where he meets Chewbacca. Meets Lando Calrissian, learns about the rebellion, gets gets the Millennium Falcon, le- like everything that the you Kessel know Run. about him, all, the Kessel Run, everything you know about him, almost everything you know about him from the rest of the movies, all happened in basically one period of time, which leaves no more mystery, right? Because anything else would be kind of retconning, right? Like, so, so then it just becomes, like it becomes kind of saccharine for me. It's like, there's like, there's so there's, is such a thing as too much information. I like mystery. No, absolutely. And, mystery makes the story very strong. Um, right. But I feel like if you read a, a series of books from the first book on, there may be two characters. They don't have to be at all. It doesn't have to be that trope, but they could just be like, these are so disparate. I don't see how they could ever have this kind of relationship because they're two distinct things. And by book six, you've gone through the arc and you're like, oh, they totally. But if you'd started with six and read from there and went back to one, be like, what the fuck? And I feel like that's what he should have done a little bit more. Just created something, some kind of dynamic that would have been more interesting to read other than they really liked each other. Now let's spend 90 pages telling you how he gets the deed. I agree. I entirely agree. I think that it's it's just, it, it's cursed with being too predictable. Yeah. Are you done with that chapter? Uh, I think it's just more extrapolation on that. Yes, I'm done with that chapter. Then that brings us to... Chapter 27, Untroubled Dreams. Summary. That's what I wrote. Uh, I guess this chapter is about Zack dying in Dritz's place as a way to appease Loth, which feels predictable. (laughs) So to be more specific, Matron Malice learns, she she has observed the conversation in the the battle Zack and Dritz had in the last chapter, sees that they're both defiantly obstinate against Loth's preachings and wishes and desires, and therefore at odds with the family's intentions and, and best efforts which means that they are the ones who put house to warden in in Lolth's disfavor so in order to appease her again they'll she's matron malice is going to sacrifice dritz because he's the one who's really offended Lolth. and then zach says fuck that kill me instead won't that appease her and then matron malice is like yeah fine i guess that's best of both worlds like that's like having my cake and eating it too i guess uh, so she kills him uh, ceremoniously in a really weird way. This felt weird. Felt like it felt. There's so much of this book that kind of feels like I'm watching an animated film. Like I, I, I it's another one of those things I felt like I, I kept seeing sequences in animation style. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see like, that. Yeah. Like so many things where it's like these very colorful, very like wide, like un, un- impossible shots that you can make possible with animation or, or digital effects, and uh, this is one of them where like. He, he, you know, he walks into the room and, like, it's all dark and then there's this, like, ceremony. Anyway, it's, it's all fucking written there. But, like, <laughs> I just I just imagined it, like, I think that helped me was, like, imagining it like a cartoon and, like, having a lot of, like, a- the kinetic energy of an, a cartoon. 
Do you think it's helped. written to inspire visualization, or do you think it's just you visualizing it? I mean, I think it's both. I mean, like, like reading is just like Im- imagination is just kind of like self-induced hallucinations. So no, like, absolutely. But there are books that are better at describing things, and I wouldn't have necessarily given that to this book. Oh yeah, sure, sure. Uh, so, so I, I mean, I think that there's a part of it that is just that, like, there would be certain moments, like certain sequences that I could wa- I could read and, and and feel like I was watching them happen. Okay. Uh, not the whole thing. There's plenty in here I had to reread to go. What the fuck are we talking about? <laughs> like, why, why is this being described this way? There's so many puffs of smoke and dust and like, there's a line in later chapter where it's like Dritz fiddled the orb in his pouch and it's like. What? I mean, I can visualize that, but like, is this is this supposed to suggest? Like, I know it's supposed to call back to something, but I'm just okay. I, I visualize that, and I imagine a dude. I imagine a dude doing this, like, look looking at the people, and he, he's dealing with and going like, because the pouch was around his neck, so it's not like. Did he have his hands in it, or was he rubbing it from the outside, like a? Hmm. Oh, he had he because he oh. had to have his hands around it because he pulls it out to throw it on the ground. So point. he has to be like reaching down his neck in the center of his chest. <laughs> Nonchalantly, just yeah. nothing, nothing, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. My first note was time left in book, 21 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> my Kindle has that countdown feature. And I was like, oh. Uh, but no, my real big note here was, um, okay, go back a step. What are the chances that Dritz and Zack would have a plot-heavy conversation right when the matron's scrying? Which, obviously, narrative convention, sure. But it just made me wonder, what would she have seen if they hadn't been having that heart-to-heart right then? Because the scrying would have showed her, right? Like, like uh... I, I imagined, this is what I imagined, because I kind of had the same thought. I imagine it just would have shown her the people who were putting them in lost disfavor. So it would have shown her Dritz doing whatever Dritz was doing. Would, would it have showed her so, that or would it have showed her the event of him saving the elf child? Like I don't think past? so. I, okay. think, I don't think so. I think it would have showed her whatever Dritz was doing at that time. And then she would have been like, Dritz, but why? And unfortunately we didn't have to have that moment because they just spelled it all out for you in their conversation with the, sure. the convenience of narrative convention. Which again, it happens all the time in all sorts of media. So, I can't give him yeah. that. And then my only other note here was, ugh, more plot. And and the problem with the plot here is that it's also predictable. It's not that the plot is, it's not that I don't like reading a story. It's that this is all, this all feels preordained. That's like, my, that's what I'm talking about. Right, right. It, it, it all feels, feels like, like he's going through an outline and fleshing it out right. with sentences. Not like, oh, I've got this story, this tale I want to weave and tell and give to you it's just like uh and then he does this so i will write this and then he does this and i will write this that's what i mean by it, plot heavy it, or plotting reading it reading it feels like being a person who's impatient at a table read mm-hmm. like yeah, just i like, like that a lot we, we've all read this we all know where it's going but we have to go through it because this is a rehearsal mm-hmm. and it, it feels as like inspired as that he's not having fun with it I don't know about that. I don't know about that. I would, because again, that attributes in those things sections. that I'm not comfortable. But yeah, that's, that's, yeah, I see what you're it, saying. It, yeah, it, it does feel sort of uh, perfunctory, if you will. I will. Uh, do you have any more notes in that chapter? In that chapter? No, I don't. Then let's move on to chapter 28. Rightful owner. It's the climatic fight between Massage slash Alton and Drids slash Guinevere. It's pretty obvious who wins and who loses, even before the fight starts. And it wasn't even that cool. <laughs> uh, and then I have, 
the quote perhaps but they will heal line was pretty cool refresh me on the perhaps they will heal so like so like massage is like blasting drits with all his spells he's like magic missile magic missile lightning bolt lightning bolt lightning bolt fireball fireball lightning bolt disappear he's doing all that stuff and drits is like nothing could kill me i'm the hero <laughs> i have the impervious shield of protagonist <laughs> And and then he's like climbing up this stalagmite to get at Massage, and Massage is like, "Why won't this motherfucker die?" And then he's like, "I'm out of spells, but you know what? I'm not out of boots." And then like as Dritz like tries to claw up, Massage like stomps his fingers with his boots and right, breaks right, his fingers. Right, right. And then he's like, "There's no way he can hold his whole body weight on those broken hands." But then suddenly, despite that reality. Dritz is standing next to him, shoving a dagger into his ribs, into Massage's ribs. And the Massage is like, but your fingers, they're broken. And then Dritz says, perhaps, but they will heal. And then Massage is like, ah. <laughs> and I, I assume, I assume he Wilhelm screams off of the, like, <laughs> Of course he Wilhelm screams, yes. He's got to. <laughs> I like to imagine that it's a Wilhelm scream that's like, it's like this it's this like pregnant pause moment, right, where like Driz is climbing up and he's bloody and on fire and like just just destroyed and he stabs him in the in the in the in the ribs and he just like he says, Perhaps, but they will heal. It's all quiet and Massage sort of like gutters out the, you know, but they're broken. And then like Driz just sort of lets him slide off the blade and then off the stalagmite into like the darkness of the ground below. And there's no music and no nothing, and then well beyond the point where you get the visual and audio cue that massage is out of breath and he's dead. Like he falls over and he's disappearing. And as he's disappearing, you hear, ah! <laughs> I like that a lot. This is like a completely poorly timed Wilhelm scream. Like just because you have to do it. Got to do it. Um, yeah. My only note here is I guess Alton's dead too. Yeah, he gets eaten. Cause, cause There's thought, a lot of problems I had with the way that was written, by the way. Sure. Like, go ahead. No, I just you 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 had suggested that maybe he would become the the big bad, like the the last remaining member of House Hanet, and and that seemed like a cool arc. Uh, doesn't seem like it's gonna happen. No, it it, it doesn't. But it, it it seemed like that was again something that they he's like he's tried to do two things. He tried to have Massage be the the villain because Massage owns Guinevere. Like once Guinevere is introduced, it's like that kind of takes the center stage and then Alton sort of pushes the background, which is another, I would say fault of the book. Cause you build up this whole idea of like the larger narrative is of this house versus house things. that doesn't really have anything to do with these individuals mm -hmm. except that they're sort of pulled by this game of Thrones, like uh, political stuff. And then you introduce this whole cat thing which is like being jealous of some another kid in your neighborhood's bike and being like, yeah, well, the bike likes me more. And then be like, I don't give a shit. It's my bike. And you're like, I'm just going to take it home. This, this is your bike, but it's going to live at my house. But the bike's, it's like, the well, bike's no. sentient and it does like you more. That's a less interesting story okay. that doesn't need to take center stage to these like, you know, house of cards moves sure, are, sure. Are, are coming around and like, like, like so many more people are going to die because of the petty actions of these people. But then you have this, it's undercut by a guy being like, no, no, for real. Like, I'm just, it, it, 
it looks better when I write it. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's just like, this is childish in comparison. Um, so yeah, like I, I feel like he, they missed an opportunity to make like, to make a really, I think there's a whole lot of opportunity here to have this compelling arc where the last surviving son of, of house, uh, Devere mm-hmm. is sympathetic to us because he was, his family was murdered by the hero's family, you know, years ago. So then you have two, two, your, your, your protagonist and your villain are both sympathetic characters who are unfortunately pitted against each other in this family rivalry, like society that neither of them really benefit from being in. But like Zach said, both are trapped in. That's a pretty compelling, like setup for an exciting adventure story. And then it's completely undercut by this whole massage has a cat toy <laughs> that Drizzt likes. And 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 that bums me out because I feel like that should have been like, you know what should have happened is Alton should have fucking taken the cat from Massage. Like Alton should have had his ultimate revenge of like overcoming his dependence on Massage like slapping him around a couple of times, you know, like, listen here, like you impudent little snot. I taught you everything you know about being a wizard. Slap a couple more times. And he's like, like it. and, and as Lolf is my witness, I am going to be the one who, who's like, uh, causes Dritz Dillardin to take his last breath on, on behalf and, and in the name of house Devere. And I'm going to do it. it it's going to happen. You know, uh, and his last breath will, will take place in the jaws of his best friend, Guinevere. And then he like takes the cat from him and walks out and massages just sitting there pissed himself or something in, in the sorcery um, chambers. So then again, we, we, you give, you would give Alton that moment of, of triumph to be a, to earn the respect of being a scary villain, like of, of, uh, authentic a a a, a real threat mm-hmm. as opposed to with you split the difference between him and massage and they both look like kind of chumps like that point where it's like oh wow we've really reduced the strength of house uh Hunette with taking two of their wizards and it's like yeah but they both kind of sucked <laughs> like like is is it really that big of a deal like i just feel like neither of them it just didn't it didn't really work i'm not impressed no. You know, so and, and then going to the way that he wrote the attack and, the, and and kept saying things like the holes of skin that were Alton Devere's eyes. And I was like, what? I think because like, it was all melted. No, I know that. OK, but I'm saying the way it's worded. It was worded and, weird. And being the result of like, or, or taking place in the middle of a panther mauling makes it sound like the cat ate his eyeballs out of his skull. I feel like, yeah, he, his... he needed to set up that imagery earlier and explain yeah. it so he could do this shorthand reference to it later. The cat, like, make it clear the cat bites his chest or the cat bites the top of his head, but clearly leaving his face alone. Right. So that we know that when the blood is pouring into his eye holes, fleshy holes that were, were his eyes, it doesn't mean that his had his face ripped apart right. from the cat. Uh, it's weird, just weird stuff like that. It's weird. You have any more notes? No. Let's get it on. Chapter 29. Alone. Summary. The conclusion of part one in the Dritz Joe Urden saga. 
Trist abandons his family and leaves Menzo Berenzan with Guinevere, the panther. He has a big conflict with his family where he's all like, fuck y'all, I'm out. And then it's it's not... It's, I didn't find it very satisfying. I found like, I, I mean, I felt like the, the poetry of like, and he used Zach's lightning ball or light ball. I, again, it's like the parry. It's like, yes, I get it. I fucking get it. It's tender. It's sweet and predictable. Let's get to the next book. <laughs> I mean, it, it was weird that so much time for this ending. It's, it was weird that so much time was spent on this inter-house intrigue. Do you think do you think we're done with that, or is that going to come back? Is he going to come back to Marenzo Baranzan, and we'll continue the the Vers versus Hanets fight? The idea that this character can exist for as many books as he's existed in, and that he would never have returned in any capacity, seems unlikely. Oh, absolutely. I just wonder if you thought that story would be picked up because it could, seems like it could go either way. Like it could just be dropped, and I'm like, then we spent an entire book talking about this and that. Or we're going to come back to more of this intrigue. What do you mean, like, come back? Do you mean the next book? Or do you mean... Yeah, the next book. No. Oh, really? Not at all. I'm like, okay. I I guess... Let me me, me try to uh, make it more clear what I'm saying. The amount of time spent on the house infighting seems like an equal amount of time needs to be spent on that in another book. Mm -hmm. Would you think that will happen? Not not just a passing reference to like him running into Dinan and Dinan going, oh, this is what happened. This is how that played out in two paragraphs. I'm saying you... another 200 pages of, but this house did this, but we moved at him against them like this, and then we staged a coup like this, and they were they countered with this. But again, do you mean in the next book? Any book, really? Uh, yeah, I think it could happen. Okay. Um, but I, I next book, I... you think is completely somewhere else? Yeah. Probably with the gnomes, since we set that up. Uh, I would be very surprised if th- we don't see Belwar in the next book. And I would be very surprised if the next book isn't entirely Dritz being like, well, I've got to be like this book. If you look at like like the first book, has got to be his like infancy and childhood. The second book is his like adolescence. He's got to earn his, he's got to cut his teeth on his own and have some sort of adventure. And then the third book is him being like, I've got to actually set out and leave my world behind. Right. And then at the same time, adapt and acclimate to an entirely new world. So I think that's happening. I think those that's the arc for the next two books. If book three is him adapting and acclimating to the uh, the surface world, I, I will be happier with that. Cool. If it's not just him <laughs> getting out there at the end. Uh, yeah, I think I'm, I'm warming up to that being the actual arc, but like I, I'm very confident that the next book is entirely in the Underdark. Okay. What, what, I mean, I would excuse an, an excursion like this one had to the sure. surface. Sure. Um, I will say it did kind of surprise me, though, with all the attention paid to the house intrigue and how at the very end Matron Malice made him the new weapons master. I really thought that's where that book was going to end. And then he just leaves. And I was like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. I am legitimately surprised. Hmm. Um,. I'm not saying I loved it because he just leaves and it let let it like oh like was all this build up for nothing because he just leaves. I don't know. No. But I was surprised. All the build up is for three books. It's I mean, we have to keep remembering that that's what it is. It's like I'm actually pretty satisfied with this ending. I just feel like it took fucking forever and the way that he could have had it pay off 
didn't have, I would have so much rather enjoyed reading this book if uh, Alton had been the actual arch villain and he had been able to kill, uh, like how cool would it have been to have Dritz overcome killing Alton that uh, an act that completely benefits his house in a very real way, mm -hmm. but that he takes no pleasure, joy, or pride in. Mm -hmm. Like that, that is a tragic hero. That is valuable. That's juicy. That's what I want. And I didn't get it because I had to get him buying his favorite Pokemon. Like that feels shitty. <laughs> do you think, do you think there's any chance that Alton is still alive or could come back as a surprise? Anything's He's not possible. dead. I mean, anything's possible. Sure. You, you pitched this idea that the reason Zach was so kind was because he might've been a surface elf. That's true. Um, and I like that idea. I I like that better that he was just a drow because it really it speaks more to the complexity of drow life sure. than if he was like, oh no, drow life is monolithic and is like unchanging, and it would take an outsider to change that. It's like no, that's this is how revolutions start. Revolutions start with a person being like, this doesn't work, or or our number of people being like, this doesn't work, and then they all, you know, congregate and then they push for change. Right. Uh, Zach, I feel like was trying to do that. He was trying to to with having a son who he could understand and his daughter who he thinks it's it's hinted at he thinks had some of those feelings too mm -hmm. that they uh they could be the start of a probably you know 100 year or so revolution that might change drow society for the better uh in his eyes right but there's all this it's like it's like it comes it comes so close like a fingernails width from being brilliant like brilliantly satisfying and poetic and it just drops it off to over fan service and justify the cat so i gotta say like as much as i i i think guinevere is cool and all that's cool this wasn't this is not great the, the way that this was handled was not great this was 3po being built yes and it, it's exactly that it's just like too clean it's too clean it's not there's not enough uh texture yeah. to this um it it feels like uh sterilized which i mean i'm still hopeful the crystal shard will be great and maybe um but remember that's not the next book i know but maybe attack of the uh clones drow elf clones will uh be better perhaps so that's the end of the book right it's the end of the book do you have any projections well, for the next one I, I thought I gave him already. Oh, yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah. he's, he's yeah, just right. going to be... Yeah. Yeah, throw it back. Fine. Sure. I, I mean, I kind of feel like I would I would love to... I feel like normally I would ask you for, like, an overall reaction, but I, I think I got it. I mean, do you want to try to give a summary? You said at the beginning of this episode that I might be surprised by your... my. Oh, you're right. And that's just... There was enough. I, I finally saw some glimmers in here that maybe future books could be better, mm -hmm. or or maybe it might have. It might not be till Crystal Shard, but it gave me a little bit of hope that it wasn't just going to be this all the time. Hopefully, I, I right. will give it that. I'm just like, okay, I can I can see you're you, you might be trying to do something here. You haven't done it yet, but you might have the inkling of a start of a plan. I just wish you would had that before you started writing this book. I mean, I feel like it, it's it's like this book feels like the foundation of a house. And I don't think it's fair to say 
that a house is ugly because its foundation is boring. Sure, sure, but let's take Star Wars. For the longest time, we never saw that foundation. We just knew it existed, and because of that, the house was amazing. Right, right. Then they took us on a tour of the foundation. But we're not watching Star Wars. We're not doing that. I know, but I think it's a good analogy. It isn't because because that we haven't. It would be a good analogy if we had started with Crystal Shard, which we haven't done. So we can't like say that we to, to make the comparison is to give Crystal Shard too much credit. I see what you're saying. We, I see what you're saying. We don't. We have no idea how good that actually is. My okay. Yes. My point though was we shouldn't be shown foundations. Well, then maybe it's more like blueprints. It's more like looking at a blueprint, and, right? It's so it's so much further before because Star Wars had plenty of foundation built into it. Star Wars as itself was its own house. It did everything it needed to do and did it great. And and maybe the Crystal Shard does that too. But this is that. This is. I, I mean, I don't have another great comparison. I, I mean, besides the one I thought I nailed a second ago, but uh, you did. I'm. I guess I'm saying that's not enough for me to just call it blueprints. I don't think it should exist as blueprints. <laughs> I think he should have made blueprints for his blueprints, perhaps. And then, you know, woven an actual tale that hit some of his marks and took us to the crystal shard instead of just showing us, but uh, again, like we, this, this wall is going to be this long and here's a doorway, but we haven't finished reading the, the three books. That's true. Like, I mean, that's true. So like it's, and again, I don't want to, it's very possible that they're all that it's unsatisfying. It's very possible that it gets to the point where it's like, Ugh, uh, well, I guess I did read that. Um, but we'll find out. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that it's like, why do you keep smelling your book? It's like a situation where the author, like you said before, had his must do list. He mm-hmm. had everything he needed to check off and he did it. And then he just made the book and then he was like, okay, I, I did. I, he probably spent a lot of time and, and, and care crafting this book. It's just like, as a person who can see, I think what he was trying to do and then reading the book I read, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, close, but no cigar. That That's how the book feels. It's like, yeah, I know where you were going, buddy. And I, I think that, like it could, it was almost great. Right. It was almost great. Right. Uh, and, and then like, and like what you said, being able to look at Homeland and say it was almost great does give me hope that maybe some of the other books actually will be great. Yeah. So I guess that's where I have to leave it is, is with that hopefulness that despite this not being, you know, life changingly good. Um, I'm glad to have read it. Sure. And, it's just good enough to give me hope that the next books will be better. Yeah, that's fair. So that's all I that's all I got there. Do you have anything else you'd like to say? Any closing thoughts? I don't. I think we've covered it all. All right. Well, uh, next time we're going to crack into Exile, book two in the legend of Dritz Do Urden. Uh, we're going to read from the beginning of the book. So that means the there's like a prologue. There's a prelude, rather. So we're going to read from the prelude uh, through chapter five. Stop and do not read chapter six. Got it. Chapter five's name is Unholy Ally. Ooh, spoilers. Chapter five is Gunweaver's Dead? What? 
What? No, I was just I was making oh, a joke about that. how the titles are kind of give away some spoilers about what happens in the story, and I was making a joke that this is great okay. love. What chapter 19's title is Headaches? Stop oh, it! Spoilers! Stop it! <laughs> what chapter seven's title is uh, Banana Bread at the City Market? Why? Why is he giving so much away? Mm, banana bread. Blech. I would eat some banana bread. I would not. I'm a pumpkin bread kind of guy. I don't really like the flavor of bananas when they've been processed. You will make me banana bread. I mean, I make a really good banana bread. Bah, but it's got almond extract in it. You don't like almond extract. I like almond extract. <laughs> Who are you trying to Jedi mind trick? Me? Or yourself? Yourself. <laughs> Oh, myself, yeah. <laughs> um. All right. Well, I I don't have anything else. Do you have anything else? No words. Let's fucking get out of here. No, I don't have any words. All right. Any words? No. There's no new words in this book that I didn't already know, and all the ones that I don't know were nonsense words. <laughs> like I don't like all the fucking gnomish, gnomish. words. Yeah. How are they gonna? Okay. So like they send the guy. They sell. They sell. Send Belwar back to the dwarvish or the gnomish like camps without fucking hands and they cut his hands off. How does that little gnome not bleed the fuck out and die on the way back? You think that drow are going to bandage him up and like make sure he doesn't like bleed out so he can go back and tattle about how awful they are. Spite. Uh, gnomish blood doesn't splurge as quickly as human blood. Uh, he better hurry up with his fast gnome legs to get there. Uh, maybe he's like stumping them together. Maybe if he just slump. ties off the, the, the wounds. Oh, wait, he can't. He lost his fucking hands. That's why he's stumping them together. Like keep, this? Yeah. And the blood like will just, just taking... go from one arm to the other, and he'll just keep it in so circulating. He's, so he's making a, a new circulation yeah. by putting yeah. his two two wounds together. There you go. So that the, blood's, the blood seeps into itself. He's completing the circuit. It's cr- just crazy enough. It I mean, you have work. to twist it because of you know, how the arteries flow, but uh, yeah. You don't want two pumps, you know, going head to head. You want them flowing into the receiving veins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. I don't think that's how extremities work, but that's fine. Uh, maybe gnome extremities. Okay. Yeah. Uh, based on what? Based on, uh, I'm assuming we're gonna see Belwar alive again, and if we do, then he did something to live. So that's. I must be right. Right, but let's say they have an answer, and it isn't gnomish arteries uh what makes you think gnomish arteries are going to be the answer uh the fact that i don't have that answer yet so i'm just just, so you're just jumping to the first thing the first logical conclusion yes there's no logic there there's no logic that's what i'm trying to get there's no logic can't tie off his wrists the drow wouldn't have done it he has to run home as fast as his little gnomy legs can carry him something must have happened mine makes the most sense when you eliminate the impossible there are so many better options. <laughs> Name one. He takes his stumps. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Both stumps. Okay. Puts them under his arms like this, and clamps down and caught and stops the bleeding that way, or at least forces enough pressure on the wounds <laughs> so that he can make them like clot. Like like Mary Catherine running. Mary Catherine Gallagher. Yeah, except he doesn't want to. If he brings his hands out to sniff or his stumps out to sniff, blood all up his nose. There's blood all over his face. Yeah. So he doesn't do that. No. He just keeps them under his armpits, and he keeps running and going superstar. <laughs> 
but he says it in Gnomish, so it sounds like <laughs> So that was Death Readers. <laughs> I'm Doug. I'm Rob. Thanks for listening. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. These reviews help new listeners find us and join the discussion. Follow us on Twitter and like our new Facebook page for Death Readers News. Become a patron at Patreon slash Death Readers. And please discuss us extensively on Reddit. Okay, well then, uh, I have nothing else, so that brings us to... 24. To know our enemy... Brings us to... Chapter 24. There you to go. know our enemies. 24 what, Rob? 24 carrots? This, this, is, this is pure gold. This chapter. Chapter 29. A home. Alone. Okay. <laughs> Can we do that again? Because... Nah. Okay. Editing. <laughs>